Hello, this is Brian Bassett of Fogat, and I, you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 329 of the Iron City Rocks podcast, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 329, we are joined by a uh, member of the band Foghat, Roger Earl, one of the founding members of the band. Uh, so this is the second time we've had a Foghat on, the other time we had Brian Bassett, who was a uh, Pittsburgh native, uh, so it was really cool to get a chance to talk to him back then, and talk to Roger Earl and learn about the history of the band. Uh, including kind of how they stepped away from Savoy Brown to start Foghat uh, and get into the success the band had. Uh, the band will be coming to Greensburg to play at the Palace Theater on February 11th. They're doing a show there, so tickets still available if you go to palacetheater.org or over to our ironcityrocks.com. You can get a link over there to get tickets as well. They're also doing a really cool contest uh, if you act quick that uh, you can be Roger's roadie for the day. Help set up the drums, watch the show from the side of the stage, which is a really cool way to see a rock concert if you've never had the opportunity. So, I'm gonna check that out if you're a fan of the band. So, without further ado, we're gonna get into that interview with Roger Earl of Foghat. Pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks from the band Fog Hat. We have Roger Earl on the line. How you doing, Roger? I'm doing good. How you doing, John? Fantastic. Uh, you're getting into the, uh, the the cold months in Western Pennsylvania, and you guys are going to be coming into <laughs> Greensburg here in February to do uh, a show. Uh, you guys are no strangers to Western Pennsylvania, but uh, it was a great time to get you on the show and kind of talk a little bit about the band's history. Um, can we start? Okay. Out, uh, it seems like bands of your generation um the so-called classic rock and especially british classic rock have endured a very healthy audience for touring you know for decades now can you can you talk a little about why you think that is that the bands of particularly of the 70s and the late 60s still enjoy such a good audience yeah well uh, yeah i think i can actually this band and that generation of musicians certainly from you know where i grew up cut our teeth on playing live I mean I was playing uh, in live shows when I was 17 years old in bars and you know in pubs and union halls and the top of pubs and stuff so um, and it's, it was always about playing live I remember you know there's always a little difficult early days going in the studio but uh, yes because we played live it was, it was all about being there in front of an audience and uh, now I've got to tell you one thing though even now when I get to a show, especially if it's like 
you know, couple of thousand or ten thousand people. I still get chills before I go on stage. As soon as I, as soon as I count off the first song, we're we're good. But uh, you know, I love my work. I love playing. Uh, always have done. It's like careful what you wish for. Exactly. You mentioned the chills, and you've been doing this in Foghat. It seems like you guys are on the road perpetually. Is there a point in your career, as a, your career, even 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 when you were with Savoy Brown, where that went from being nervous to just adrenaline because you know you know the band is well tuned and you you know what you're doing? Is there a point where it goes from just being nervous to just being plain excited to do a show? Um, yeah, um, when we just took a month off over over the holidays, so our first show was uh, we just already did that um, down in New Mexico, and yeah, it was a little uh, you, yeah you do you get sort of like butterflies and stuff. But as soon as you count off, it's all gone. Um, I still practice on a regular basis. If I go more than two or three days without sitting down on my drum pads or my drum kit. You know, I get, you know, I'm wandering around the house going, "What's the matter?" And I go, "Oh, I need to bang on some stuff." Yeah. <laughs> Good exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, do you, as a drummer now? I mean, you've been playing for, you know, I, I don't even want to guess how many years you've been playing, but um, do you still work uh, on new okay. techniques, or is it just you work on, you know, uh, paradiddles and things like that that you've always worked on, or? How do you approach practice? Um, well, a couple of things. Sometimes when I'm playing, it's all about being able to, you know, whatever you're hearing in your head and like, and how the band's playing and how it feels, you know, uh, translating that through your head, your hands and your feet, kind of in that order. And, and if for some reason, you know, one of the feet aren't working quite right or maybe the left hand's not doing what your brain is telling you to do... Uh, yeah, I work on that, but I work on, uh, I have some basic sort of, uh, you know, rudiments that I practice fairly right. regularly, and there's always room for improvement. I mean, I have a picture in my living room uh, next to me of Buddy Rich. Now, I was never even uh, even on the same sort of, uh, anywhere near the level of Buddy Rich as, as a musician, but, uh, you know, you have to admire the man's technique, and I also saw him play a number of times back in the, the late 60s when I was in Savoy Brown and he was something special but you also have to understand what you know your job is and what my job is uh, you know I, I always wanted to play in a blues rock and roll band that was the music I grew up listening to and wanted to play and that hmm. hasn't changed in uh, 55 odd wow. years so uh, and there's uh, you know um you have to be on top of it. You have to be on top of your game. You have to be able to sort of let things flow, and you have to be able to relax because the drum is only going to go so loud. Mm-hmm. You know, you lift your arm up in the air; it's not going to make it any louder. Uh, maybe some people enjoy lifting their arms up in the air. I'm more of a uh, yeah. No, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> now you mentioned Buddy Rich, a fantastic you know, jazz drummer and yeah. such a master yeah. of the snare. Was he kind of one of your bigger influences as a percussionist? Uh, right from the beginning, yeah. That was some of the first records I um, I had when I was about nine, ten, eleven. I found it in a old record store. It was uh, live at the Philharmonic with Buddy Rich and I believe. Gene Kruber 
and I remember wearing it out and I just loved the way it sounded uh, and the way they were playing probably wasn't a great recording but probably worth a fortune these days yeah. uh, but that's what I listened to and basically I grew up listening to like American you know rock and roll blues R&B music you know Little Richard Jerry Lee Lewis uh, and then you know found out discovered Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf and that's what I grew up listening to still do listen to it it's um, you know the music is is magic in fact I saw Jerry Lee Lewis uh, about a year ago here in New York at BB King's and he was I think he's 80 81 now um, and it wasn't quite as lively as he used to be but boy I mean he could play the piano and he sang great and uh, he was my first musical hero actually my father took me to see him when I was 12, 13 years old, I think, in uh, southwest London at the Mitchum Majestic. And uh, my father played pianist, and I was never the same after that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I know in the United States, is, is you know, people of my generation, Fog Hat, you know, people know Slow Ride, I think, from the time they get, you're old enough to walk, you know, Slow Ride, and, <laughs> you know, things like that. But um, can you talk a little bit, you, you, the three of you were in, Savoy Brown, which you know maybe not quite as yeah. name recognition in the United States, but still a, a very formidable band. Can you talk about that kind of leap of faith to you know the three of you to leave and, and start Fog Hat? Um, yeah, uh, it was in at the end of nineteen seventy. We were touring here in the states, and um, Kim Simmons, who was the lead guitar player and the leader of the band, I'm still very good friends with Kim. In fact, Kim played on our new album, but. Uh, it was just time for a change. Um, we'd been touring and working. Uh, I don't know, it's, it was kind of brave, I think, at the time. But, you know, we were sort of, it was It was just time for a change. Um, it was perfectly amicable, uh, you know, uh, when it happened. Um, it took a little while. Um, the bass player got fired. He's mm -hmm. always, he was always getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dave and I decided to leave and uh, it took us a while to get it together because in fact Savoy Brown's uh, manager at the time told us that we would never work again certainly not in Europe where he uh, managed Savoy Brown and Chicken Shack which were big bands at the time but uh, true to his word he sort of tried to stop us from working in England and uh, but he couldn't do it over here uh, so after our first album came out in 1972 uh, we had a hit with uh, certainly a regional hit with I Just Want to Make Love to You and uh, we came to the States and I kind of never left <laughs> yeah I mean you guys it, it, it's amazing how much it blew up and you, know, and, and you think about that I mean in, in any year it's a very big risk you mentioned you know Savoy Brown was working in the US to, to take yeah. that leap of faith to step away from a band you know it wasn't you know like you guys were throwing beer bottles at each other's heads when you were on stage or you know the normal you know kind of nastiness Savoy Brown at that time was doing really really well they were mm -hmm. earning a lot of money and uh, not that myself and Dave were getting paid a lot of money I think we was getting a hundred bucks a week but <laughs> that was never the reason that you know you played mm -hmm. music or certainly not for me and not for Dave either you know we play music because you wanted to and um, I just wanted to fortunate few in this world that's managed to sort of earn a decent living at it and I still enjoy it 
uh, it was uh, it was time for a change. Yeah, and then let's talk about now. I mean, fast forward to you know 2016. Um, you guys put out an under the influence of your 17th album. Um, can you talk a little bit what in, went into the selection of the tracks you guys did for that album? Um, yeah, so some of it was, um, well, like Under the Influence, the title track. Um, well, what happened about four years ago, um, we started work on the album. We have a studio down in Deland, Florida, where we go January, February, March, April, around that time. And... Um, Brian Bassett, our lead and slide guitar player, who, by the way, comes from Pittsburgh, yep. um, it would, it would be producing, engineering, mastering, and doing everything. And uh, we got probably got about half the tracks or the songs down. And uh, about two years, three years ago, um, I was a presenter at the Memphis Blues Awards, and I presented to Buddy Guy about three three I think he won three uh, events and uh, his producer was there Tom Hambridge and he uh, and I met him later on that evening in the bar and he said he was a big fan of Foghat and loved to produce it sometime and Tom has produced a uh, number of bands ZZ um, Top uh, just yeah, a whole host of them and, and did an incredible job but anyway he came down to um, our studio in Florida a couple of times we sat down and worked on some songs and then Tom wrote some songs specifically for us uh, we got about half of it done down in Florida and the rest we finished up in a week's recording up in Nashville uh, when we have some guests on this album Kim Simmons the guitar player from Savoy Brown's playing on about four tracks um, Scott Holt who's an incredible guitar player and singer uh played with Buddy Guy for about 10 years so you know he can play sure. uh, he's singing on three or four tracks and playing guitar um, Dana Fuchs is uh, singing on a couple of songs with us so yeah we had a lot of uh, we had a number of friends helping us out on this one it was actually this record was a lot of fun to make um, not that others weren't but this seemed to uh, it just worked because uh, Tom was an incredible producer and was really really helpful in in the arrangements we had sometimes when the band's arranging it it's like you can always change a song and always say, well, let's try this let's try that but tom would like nail it down and go okay this is how this is, you know everybody's agreed on it and if anybody changed the arrangement whilst we're recording it he would point exactly where somebody changed the arrangement and he'd say do you want to do that or do you want to do it the way we arranged mm -hmm. <laughs> so, he was really, really well organized, and uh, that was the beauty of working with him. He's also a great drummer, so uh, <laughs> in fact, he plays drums with Buddy Guy and a number of other people. He has his own band, the Rattlesnakes, and uh, it was a really, really enjoyable experience. And uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do another one one day. <laughs> I was going to say, um, do, you, do you see at some point? I mean. Just calling it a day and kind of stepping down, or, or is this is just too much fun at this point still? Well, I'm going to roll till I'm old and rock till I drop. Uh, That's the no, way to do it. Is terrific. Um, yeah, uh, recording uh, is like, uh, and it's every time I finish a record, I go, "All right, that's the last one I'm doing," and right. then you know about 
a year later we're sitting down in the studio we start writing music and uh, or playing with somebody and somebody's got some ideas and uh, we start the process again it just it now it takes three or four years to do it um, actually we have a, a live album coming out from uh, we did a show we don't do a lot of clubs but we did this club out in uh, just north of San Diego somebody told us the Rolling Stones played there and I said well we can play there and the Stones played there and yeah. they recorded it and, and Brian Bassett mixed it and uh, that's coming out I think it's coming out in about a month it's called Live at the Belly Up Okay. That was coming out this Friday. Uh, my manager just pointed out to me. So even even with that, we and we've also got uh, we re- recorded and filmed. We had a record release party for Under the Influence at BB King's in Manhattan. Right. And uh, Brian is working on that at the moment, uh, mixing it and editing some stuff. Uh, Kim Simmons is playing on about an hour's worth of songs. Scott Holt is there. Um, that was a lot of fun, actually. We played for well over two hours, so uh, it was enjoyable. So we've already got like two things in the works. So all we have to do is start on a new studio album. Yeah, we're going to roll to a roll. And rock it, rock. It's interesting <laughs> to hear you talk because I had spoke to Kim um, just probably right before your record release, um, and okay. uh, and asked him almost the exact same question at this point in your career. Um, what keeps you making new music? And I, I think he answered that great. And I kind of hear that in your voice that artists need to create. You know, whether you're a 25 year old musician or you're a 70 year old musician, you just feel that need to inherently create music, and that's wonderful. Yeah, and um, and just because I, I guess I'm not entirely, uh, you know, I'm not busy seven days a week anymore. We started another band as well from uh, through the under the influencing Scott Holt and myself do a couple of uh, shows a, uh, a year at a band called Earl and the Agitators, and uh, <laughs> that album should be coming out in the next uh, within the year. We finished most of the stuff; it's just going to be mixed and edited, and maybe write some more songs. See, awesome. all of a sudden now it's th- it's three albums we got coming yeah, out. It's a prolific part of your career. Um, can I can I just ask you to touch briefly on um, the Fog Hat Wine Cellars? Yeah. How did, how did that get started? I know you guys were seeming to kind of get ahead of that. You know, a lot of musicians are making beer and things like that now, but you guys seem to really be ahead of that wave. Um, what, how, how did that kind of come off the ground? Um. We were playing the about in nineteen uh, in two thousand and six, I believe we we played two sold out shows at the Mid California State Fair, and uh, a winemaker by the name of Steve Rasmussen came to see us. Uh, he worked with uh, a whole bunch of white tally vineyards, uh, Robert Mondavi, and um, he, after we played there, he sent an, an email to our management and said, would we be interested in making wine? So I started, you know, drooling and licking my lips, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we went out to meet him out in California, and he took us around to a bunch of uh, vineyards, uh, introduced us to a bunch of uh, wine-making folks and people who pick it, people who stomp on it, and, uh, yeah, we just got involved. We had, the first one was a 2005 cab. Then we had a 2007 Chardonnay, 2008 cab, and then 
2010 Pinot and 2010 Chardonnay. Most of those have gone. I think I've got maybe a case or so left. Mm. Uh, the moment we have uh, 2013 Pinot Noir from uh, Monterey, which is uh, northern part of central coast of California. We have a 2014 uh, Chardonnay from the same area. Then we have a 2012 Cabernet Sauvignon from Paso Robles. Yeah, it's it's. I enjoy it. We go out and we try and get out there for um, harvest around August, but I didn't make it last year because it was so busy. But um, whether it's p- picking grapes that we're going to be using or, work, or working with another uh, farmer, it's I enjoy it. Um, yeah. I enjoy it, like getting up early in the morning, or maybe I stayed up the late night before. Uh, <laughs> but it's. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy it. I, like we do wine tastings and, and ship stuff all over the country. To, there's a number of states you can't ship to, but only about seven, I think, left. Um, the wine business is very, uh, I said, the alcohol is like, what is it? Uh, firearms, tobacco, and alcohol. Yeah, the ATS. Yeah, those three go well together. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, sometimes they do, but yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, sadly, they do. But um, yeah, I enjoy it. It's, um, everybody, you know, it's, it's probably my favourite beverage anyway. So now I have a, an extensive cellar. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly becoming in quite quite in vogue, and I, it's, it's just interesting to yeah. see because I know from different press releases and things I've seen, Fog had been doing this for years, and, and you know, a lot of artists are getting into this, you know, this and like I mentioned, beer and hot sauce and barbecue sauce and things like that. But yeah, they seem to be. I kind of out of that way. Wine. Well, we talked about doing other stuff as well, and um, you know maybe vodka, but I don't know. There's enough vodkas out there, and mm-hmm. what the wine is, is is enjoyable. You know, working with the farmers and, and you know the growers and the whole process of making wine. And you know, it's um, it's really enjoyable, and I, I enjoy working with the people, the farmers, the, the people who actually pick the grapes, work really, really hard, and. Uh, you know, we go out there and sort of do that, and yeah, it's um, it's not going to replace uh, banging the drums and playing in a rock and roll band, but uh, it's a nice diversion. Yeah, certainly, it's kind of a neat, uh, you know, sort of hobby, so to speak. So that's great, yeah. Roger. I want to thank you for your time this morning. Um, you guys are coming into Greensburg to do a show at the beautiful Palace Theater on the 11th of February, and I really look forward to seeing you when you get into town, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. You know. Um, Two of our crew uh, come from Pittsburgh, as does uh, Brian Bassett. So, uh, yes, it's Pittsburgh has always been one of my uh, favourite cities to play. Yeah, even from early days in Savoy Brown and early days in Foghat, it was one of those cities that sort of opened its arms to us. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to going there. Yeah, you guys can come back anytime you want. Uh, Roger, I want to thank you thank so you. much. You have a great day. Thank you.
rock culture forever. Foreigner. With Cheap Trick. And Jason Bottoms Led Zeppelin Experience. Saturday, August 12th, Key Bank Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now. At all Ticketmaster locations online at LiveNation.com or call 1-800-745-3000. All right, a very big thank you goes out to Roger Earl for taking the time. Uh, another very, very busy band. Um, amazing for the amount of things going on at the age of 70, I believe Roger is now, to have all that going on and playing drums. Um, no small task. So we appreciate him coming on and talking to us not only about Foghat, but his uh, side band and also indulging some questions about uh, Savoy Brown. For those of you who are interested in Savoy Brown, we had Kim Simmons of the band on not the, just a few episodes back. So if you head over to ironcityrocks.com and you go down through the home page, you can find a link to that show as well. Again, Fog Hat will be in town uh, in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, doing a show on February 11th at the Palace Theater. Uh, so you want to check that out. Plenty of great seats still available. So until next time, you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Or all forward slash Iron City Rocks, or you can hit us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com if you want to let us know what you think of the show, or if your band's interested in being on the show, or uh, you just want to tell us how great it is or how bad it sucks. So, love to hear from uh, people who listen to the show. So, until next time, we thank you for listening. <laughs>